1: You're listening to the QuickBook Reviews podcast. Brighten
2: your day with a book.
3: Hello, my fellow bookworms. This is Philippa from QuickBook Reviews. How are you all? Uh, yes, still not well here, still in recovery from the old Captain Covid, I think we could say. Finding it slightly hard to breathe, but hey. Breathing's not really important, is it? It's a good thing I'm into reading books and not, I don't know, horse riding or gymnastics or something. I wouldn't really be able to do that at the moment. Um, but anyway, this is the last episode that I'll be recording before I go away on holiday, if I manage to. Um, and I'm sure when I return, I will be in full health and able to breathe, move, talk properly. So thank you for bearing with me. Anyway, enough about me. We've got some books. We've got some amazing, amazing books. I'm so thrilled to tell you what we've got today. So, We've got uh, All I Said Was True by Imran Mahmood and Imran is going to come on and talk to us about this book. That's exciting. Then we've got The Last Party by Claire McIntosh. And Claire is coming on to answer five questions in five minutes. That's exciting. Then we've got So Happy For You by Celia Lasky. That's a good book. It's very interesting. We've got The Will by Rebecca Reed and Cold Cold Bones by Kathy Rikes. So that's quite a selection, but we need to just start with Imran Mahmood. You know, I have enjoyed Imran's other book so very much. And I was thrilled to hear that he had a new book coming out. Let me tell you all about this one. So the book is called All I Said Was True. And here's the blurb. I didn't kill her. Trust me. When Amy Blunt died on a London rooftop, Layla Mahoney was there. Layla was holding her. But all she can say when she's arrested is, It was Michael. Find Michael, and you'll find out everything you need to know. The problem is the police can't find him. They aren't even sure he exists. Layla knows she only has 48 hours to convince the police that bringing in the man she knows only as Michael will clear her name and reveal a dangerous game affecting not just Amy and Layla, but her husband Russell and countless others. But as the detectives begin to uncover the whole truth about what happened to Amy, Layla will soon have to decide how much of that truth can she really risk being exposed to. Oh, let's do first sentences... Now, you do not have to say anything, but it may harm your defence if you fail to mention when questioned something you later rely on in court. Anything you do say may be given in evidence. Do you understand the words of the caution? Yes, I'm a lawyer, I say. A chemical smell radiates from my skin. And you are declining your right to free legal advice? Yes, as I said, I am a lawyer. I thought this was an extraordinary book. Um, it's a different style of writing to some other sort of uh, crime thrillers, I think. And you as a reader are rewarded for that. Thought so It's just it's different. It's fresh. It's intelligently written. Um, it's got all the twists and turns and pace that you want. Just an excellent, excellent read. Uh, Imran's going on the auto buy list as well. I thought it was excellent. I keep saying that word, don't I? They talk about Covid brain. And up until today, I've said, no, I don't have Covid brain. But I think the evidence of this podcast is that I clearly do. But anyway, there we go. Right. Enough. Let's talk. Let's talk to the wonderful Imran Mahmood now. So Imran Mahmood, whose latest book, the wonderful book, is called All I Said Was True. Welcome to the podcast.
4: Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here.
3: Well, I can't believe it's your first time on. It's long overdue and shame on me for not, uh, not sorting this out a while ago.
4: I've been queuing and queuing and queuing <laughs> every day. I phone up to check how, fur- how far along the queue. <laughs> I keep being told, Richard Osmond's in front of me. Can't yeah, see
3: sorry. That. Priorities, <laughs> priorities. But eventually I've scraped the bottom of the barrel and <laughs> found a slot right, for you. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Now, this book, let's talk about this book. Okay, so you are a a barrister. You've been a barrister for more than 30 years. You must come across lots of interesting cases. Is this where this book was born?
4: Oh, no, no, not not at all, in fact. Um, So so, uh, the answer is, yes, I do come across a a lot of interesting cases. Almost all of them are interesting in one or another way. So whether it's a fraud perpetrated by a millionaire or a kind of... a drug deal on, on the streets by a 13-year-old. They're all, they're all, they all have some level of mm. interest. But it's really the characters that you meet. So you can meet everyone. Um, and on any given day, you could meet, you know, a duke one day and hesitate to say a paedophile the next day. I mean, it's just extraordinary. And so what that ends up doing is that you end up being able to mine all of these different kind of contacts with people to produce characters which I hope kind of end up feeling three-dimensional. It's a reversible (laughs) reaction. I
3: know, it's interesting. But but when you're in court, do you have to ask the judge just to pause things because you've come across an interesting character and you just need to make a note for that for another book before you can carry on with the case? I'm sure the judge would understand. That
4: would be be marvellous, wouldn't it, (laughs) to be able to say that? (laughs) Just uh, hang on a second while I just... (laughs) Etch in the details. <laughs> <laughs> yes,
3: make a few notes. Yes, could you just repeat that, what you said? Yes, yeah. phrase that you used was marvellous. I'm taking that to no then. <laughs>
4: yeah. um, although I have had um, a judge ask me whether uh, they can be in the book, but be in one of the books, um, in terms of the names, names only. And so, so occasionally I do... Names into books of people I know, but they're never never anything like the real person. It's just I borrowed the name because I'm terrible at names. I hate them. Some, some people tell me, some authors tell me that names are the most important thing um, in a book and they have to be kind of beautifully thought through, and there has to be a you have to be able to trace the etymology of the name to tie in with the character. And so
3: And I just can't do that. You know,
4: if I could call them all Fred, (laughs) I would.
3: (laughs) Fred one, two and three. (laughs) I, I mean, I'm interested because, as you say, you see such interesting cases and interesting people, but your books have to be believable as they are. And I just wonder sometimes if real life is would be almost unbelievable as a fiction.
4: Yeah, often uh, real life is much more unbelievable than fiction, and I've had um, I've had books where I've put in scenes, and or you know there have been a few kind of court scenes or few kind of cr- crime scenes which have happened, and my editors have said you, you know you have to take this one out, and always the ones that they want to take out are the ones which are true, and the fictionalised ones they're happy to leave in, but the, the, the ones which are true are so kind of often bizarre that. Um, it, it's, it, it's hard to believe kind of the levels to which um, some people climb or stoop in the name of crime and I, I'll give you an example, I once had a case where a man was <laughs> he was accused of uh, I'm, I'm laughing it's not at all funny, but he, he he was accused of an assault against a woman and he was living in a, like the 10th floor of a flat and she was living on the ground floor opposite. And his defence... Uh, and what had happened was he'd gone down and he, he'd kind of tapped on the window and um, then tr- tried to kind of let himself into the house, which must have been terrifying for the woman. Mm. And um, his defence was, um, I'd been smoking a load of drugs and I thought that the woman was communicating to me to ask me into the flat... And uh, so that's the reason I went down. And and in fact, um, I thought she was shining a green light at me. And a green light means go. And so I ran down there and I tried to get in. I said, Well, <laughs> the fact that she was wearing a full burqa not give away that she might not be necessarily signaling to you? And he said, No. He said, um, I'm an equal opportunities guy. And I, <laughs> <laughs> to describe people I genuinely thought yeah that it was game on and um you couldn't put that in a book because nobody would believe it They'd say oh, is, yes is yeah
3: so it's just interesting how fiction not it doesn't have to be dumbed down but it's a different type of reality yeah
4: yeah I think so and I think uh, because well what happens in the criminal justice system is that if you've been caught up in it for one or another reason it's you're usually at the extreme edges of it of, of, kind of society or life or something. So you are already an outlier, and then the ones which are prosecuted are a fraction of the ones which are reported. So by the time you're in there, you're really dealing with the unusual and often bizarre circumstances of life which have got somebody into the courtroom.
3: What I love about your books is that, yes, they're sort of what well, I'd describe them as crime and thrillers, but you don't go down... the the well-worn path of crime writing. You bring your own style that I really enjoy. Is that deliberate or was that just a natural way when you were writing?
4: Um, It it definitely wasn't kind of pre-planned or pre-thought-out. And um, when I uh, wrote You Don't Know Me, which which was my debut, uh, in my head, because I had no idea how the industry worked, I thought I'd give them the book, they would edit it, (laughs) they would publish it. And I would have nothing further to do with it, <laughs> and and, and, I, and, I'd, and I'd never darken the kind of bookshelves again. I, that was me done. That's what I thought would happen, uh, because I was given a one book deal. But then after you deliver that, they start sending you a hundred books from other people for blurbs, uh, and then they say, so when are we when are we getting book two and book three? As a, they just assume that you're in this <laughs> that they're, <laughs> they're already, already written. <laughs> you, you're going to keep on producing the book so then i uh, i had an idea for a book which i uh, discussed earlier with my agent and she said oh look i really like this idea you know c- can you write some of that and i did and that that book had been something which had been i'd, I'd written the bones of it 10 years beforehand so um i brought it out and we can kind of read uh, visited it and totally redrafted it, changed the story, changed, but kept one central character. And so that, that was that book. By the time um, all I said was true was being written, I, initially it started off as a different kind of book because I've been given so many of these proofs and I thought I, I, I should really try and fit this mould <laughs> of the crime thriller that I, whose genre I'm now um, in. And, and I sent a, a few chapters to my agent who just said... We're missing the Imran in this Mm. narrative. It it doesn't sound like you, and I said it's not supposed to. This is supposed to sound like everything else. And she said, "Well, that's not really what you want to do. You want to just carry on writing it as if you're writing it in the way that you're writing it. Yeah, everything else be damned." And. Yeah, f- find your own style, and that's much more important. And so that's what I've been—I've uh, been doing, kind of, on, on advice from my agent, to, to, to write in the way which feels the most kind of natural way to write.
3: And was that easy to do? To just swing onto the the Imran track rather than trying to be fit into the standard genre?
4: Um, it was easy in the sense that I kind of felt um, much more comfortable. In, in my own skin um, it's it's harder because I'm kind of the way I write to kind of construct um, kind of scenes and uh, characters is it, fairly say boring but quite um, painstaking, <laughs> painstaking. So, so I'll spend a lot of time on a sentence and uh, that tends to happen every sentence. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which isn't ideal. <laughs> what you're to do is to spend a lot of time on a sentence you know, once a, once a page or something. But I but but I end up kind of thinking about every sentence and whether it whether the mood of the sentence that I've just written fits in with the mood of the character and the mood of the kind of overall plot and the way it's being driven. And so that's that's and I can't help in a way I can't help it
3: does that come from your background as a barrister where it preparation is presumably absolutely key to how confident you are when you're standing up in court
4: I don't think it's so much it, it, it's partly that so um so, so 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 that helps me with speed so so, I, so so I can do things like edits and structural and line and proof edits really quickly because of that but yeah you go to court a judge tells you that they need a Skeleton argument drafted overnight, and you go and you draft it overnight. You don't um, you, you don't waste time on the kind of small details in that way. So that helps with the speed. But in terms of the kind of structure and the um, overall shape of the novel, I, th- I think that comes more from the fact that when I so I, for A level, I, I read French um, A level as one of my A levels. And I didn't know at the time that French A-level, because I was quite good at the language, um, but I didn't realise that French A-level <laughs> was basically English A-level, English Literature A-level, but in French. <laughs> so there was, there was there was quite a lot, <laughs> lot of deep diving into uh, French literature and structure and, you know, and the use of metaphor and all of that sort of stuff. So it probably came from that. And then my reading was influenced heavily by that, and so... I didn't really read crime fiction until I started writing it. Um, I read almost none of it, Um, so most of my reading background was just ordinary literary fiction. So I think, uh, yeah, I wonder whether those two factors combined Mm. to make the writing what it is.
3: I'm sure. Did you always know how the story would end when you started writing it, or were you surprised?
4: I tend, so I remember listening to uh, Lee Child in conversation with John Grisham um, a couple of years ago at Harrogate, and they were talking about their writing styles, and John Grisham was saying, yeah, so I I, I I plan out, I don't overall plan, but then I plan out every chapter, And so I know that there's, whatever it is, 100 chapters, and then I plan out what's going to happen in every chapter, and each beat is written down and then I write I write the book and Lee Child says I pick up the, the, kind of the computer and I start writing <laughs> and Joe Griffin says but, but, but when do you do your planning he says I don't do any planning <laughs> he says well you how can you know what's, what's going to happen he says I don't <laughs> he says I just kind of start yeah. and then I'll see where the characters take me and I do, that does happen That's uh, I find it difficult to plan because I have tried to plan books and then I get halfway plot, kind of following the plot that I've written out. And then the character will do something uh, unexpected because that's, that's what the character would do. And so I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, you've got to move out from this thing that you're doing. And you've got to, we've got to get you to the other end of London. But instead, you're sleeping under a tree. You know, Is there a way of moving you along? <laughs> and, and and I couldn't, I, I couldn't do it. And so in the end, the only way that I found that worked for me was to see, you kind know, of very broadly, I know, you know there is a murder, there is a suspect, and this is what happened. So you could, so I could write down the plot in on a post-it note, um, and then the rest of it I just. Fill in and see see where it takes me. So Which you're some...
3: enjoying it as you're writing it?
4: Hopefully. Yeah, because, because I can I can kind of find out with them what kind of... It sounds weird and slightly mm. kind of know, f- um, hokey for me to say, oh, well, let's go on this journey together with the character and see where they take me. No, but that's, but, 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 yeah, but, that's what
3: works. But, but
4: genuinely, it does feel like that. So I'll open the page and I'll say right, so what are, you, what are you going to do now to get out of this problem? And sometimes I will give them problems which sound or feel impossible to solve. Um, and I never remove the problems. I never say, oh, look, I can't solve that problem. Let's have a different one. I just you know, take them through it and see what happens.
3: So do you have the characters in your mind before you start as pictures? Or are, they, are the characters revealed to you as well when you start writing chapter one?
4: I think it says um, it, it, it does depend. So with uh, You Don't Know Me, with that character was, he, he was unnamed, he's a defendant, he's in the dock, and he sacked his barrister and he's doing his own closing speech. And so, uh, you know, an 18 or 19-year-old black youth from South London. I, you know, I had an idea of who he was, but he's unnamed because he represents all of them, all, all of the people mm-hmm. in the justice system who've fallen through the cracks. And so I take a bit of this and I take a bit of that, and I had a, a kind of very certain idea of what he was and how he would sound. And um, I would read each of the lines out loud as I was writing them to make sure it sounded right to me in terms of the rhythm of, of what he was saying. In the latest one, um, all I said was true. That character was more of a kind of um, kind of discovery. Um, So I started off with, you know, I wanted a strong female lead character who was bright and who was kind of in charge of her own destiny and had agency um, over the things which were around her. But I wanted her to have some complexity. And that kind of was, that took a few drafts for her properly to come out. And sometimes what I would realise is about two thirds of the way through, if I went back to the beginning and started reading again, I realised that, that actually that's a different person at the beginning and so, so it <laughs> yeah, would have to be cool. re-edited yeah. um, because I didn't find it sometimes near, near the end.
3: Yeah, so the character is emerging as you're writing which then means you have to to go back.
4: Part of it is a f- kind of thematic I- issue so if, the th- if I'm exploring a theme of, so in um, I know what I saw, it's about memory and the fracturing of memory and how memory um, defines us and uh, how we are our memories and what happens if you jettison some of them, what does that do to your personality? So that affects, you know, what who the character is and which characters you choose to reveal that story. And in all I said was true. I, I wanted to deal with um, freedom of choice mm. and the way that we regulate our lives and, you know, whether we're totally in control of, our, our lives and our choices and, and the, to some extent the characters um, reflect the choice of the theme
3: and I did find with this book I don't to give any names away but let's just say some of the characters in the book really stayed with me afterwards did they haunt you at all or were you able to say goodbye to them the minute you typed the end
4: <laughs> it's a funny old thing you know um, because when you're doing it, the, the characters live in your head so that you can't sleep at night because you're trying to wonder what they're going to do or you know how they're going to get out of this hole or, you know, you know if this problem confronts them, what are they going to do or their lives are in danger, You know, how, are they going to escape it? And so, yeah, so they're kind of with you all the time and you're, you know, at spare moments, you know, People will ask me what I'm doing. I'm kind of staring out into the middle distance, and I'm really just trying to think through what the character's doing. But then, so you finish it, and then you have to do usually a structural edit from the editor. My agent's a really good editor, so she does an edit with me. So that's two edits. And then there's a proof edit and a line edit and a copy edit. And by the time you've done five edits... You are yeah. done Sick of it. You don't. You don't want to, yeah. you know it <laughs> to do with it, it's yeah. Done. You've not just read it five times or ten times, but you've written it five times. So yeah. <laughs> so they, yeah. So while it's in the Genesis, yeah, they're very much alive. And then yeah, and it's, it's not just when the last page is done; it's when the last
3: edit's done. And I see that you're even endorsed by The Secret Barrister, which I found quite intriguing.
4: Yeah, it's quite, it's quite meta, that, isn't it? Because um, like obviously every barrister is asked whether they are The Secret mm. Barrister. Every barrister tends to answer, well, if I was, I couldn't tell <laughs> you. Yeah. I, um, I was asked to review um, The Secret Barrister's book, oh. the first one, uh, when it came out for The Times. And uh, R- Robbie Millens had sent it to me and said, do, do, do you mind um, doing a review? And I said, I don't mind at all. In fact, I'd love to. But um, he said, oh, as long as it's not you. I said, it's not me. But even if it was, I just wouldn't be able to. <laughs> I'd
3: be yes. Able to- oh, yes, I better not review it.
4: Yeah. <laughs> and I reviewed it and he said, we've got a problem with this review. And I said, what? And he said, you haven't said anything bad about it. There are no negative parts to this review. And I said, because it's, there's nothing negative about it. He said, but it's just going to make people think that you wrote it. I said, <laughs> I said it didn't. And I can't think something negative about it if there
3: isn't.
4: <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, so yeah, it often happens a lot where people say, oh, I noticed you and the secret barrister are tweeting on the same day. And then we'll end up in a dialogue
1: where they say,
4: um oh oh uh, you know and, and we'll use my name or you know, or whatever accident accidentally use one
3: another <laughs> <laughs> do you think having a tv series made has altered your writing style did was there anything from that experience that you've taken on board and reflected now in your writing
4: um it, i mean the, the tv thing is really interesting a, a couple of things that happened as a result of it. One of them was the, the amazing Tom Edge. I got to meet him, who wrote the screenplay, and he's you know he he writes a brilliantly. He's probably the best screenwriter I think around at the moment. And, I mean, he wrote the Vigil and the Crown and you know, but, but almost anything that's 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 top class. He's he's written. So I was delighted when he when he got to write it, and I was even more delighted when he occasionally phoned me up and said this is the scene that we're writing, does it seem okay to you? And I'll say, this isn't quite what they would, how they would phrase it in a courtroom. And so I got a chance to see the scripts. And the, the second thing which happened was, I, I was contacted by a lot of different people who said, will you write a screenplay for us about something like Either commissioned you to do a, a legal drama or, or, you know, or if you've got an idea of your own or if you've got an unpublished book that you want to develop into a screenplay, we'll commission you to do it. So it mean it meant that I got a chance to have a go at screenwriting, which is a totally different experience because, um, as I as I learned, you uh, a you you're because you're dealing with the visual medium. You can you don't have to spend twenty pages describing the scene. You can just have mm. l- literally your your exposition will say. Um, you know, car park full of potholes, one car, the smash window. And that's it. Hmm. You couldn't do that in a book, in a line. People would <laughs> think you've got having a stroke. So, <laughs> so, so there was that difference. Uh, so you have to be really succinct. And the other th- really big difference is that um, you have the luxury in a novel of going into a person's uh, mind. We hear what he's thinking or she's thinking. We know what they're feeling. We know what they're agonizing about. We, we, we learn about all the decisions and indecisions and the loves and the, all, all this You can't do that on a screen. Um, mm. I'd say, at this point, Hero wonders to himself how on earth he got this predicament. <laughs> <laughs> You've just got to capture it in a look. And, which is why acting, the actors, so, it's stupid to say it, but the reason that they're so crucial is they're commu- communicating so much without saying anything, as well as not saying stuff. Um, so that, it changed how I write screenplays, I and mean, that's for sure. And it's also helped me identify in the books um, what... Is so, for instance, what they're, what they're kind of madly um, obsessed about in the TV world is having things which are scenes which are new. So they, don't want, they don't want really anything that they've seen before, they want it to be totally novel. So, that's useful for your kind of head when you're writing a scene in a book because the temptation is often the opposite
3: to write something that you've seen a hundred times. And yet, you write in a fresh way. I would say, with crime thrillers, you write. I'm not saying other authors don't, but your writing is, I would say, very intelligent and observational, and and that gives a gripping story. So you are, for me, you are, do deliver quite a fresh style of book.
4: Oh well, that, well that's, good. that's that's kind of good to say, but I think um, I, I'm I'm definitely um, now focused on trying to make sure that, that, that there is something different, that you're bringing something different with each telling of a story. Mm. Otherwise, the risk is that the story becomes forgettable, which is you know an awful shame if you've spent two years or <laughs> five years, whatever, trying to put the thing together, and then <laughs> somebody reads it for ninety nine p on Kindle, and then has And then it's forgotten it before, you know, which is fine. It hurts.
3: (laughs) Yeah, it's the definition of a page turner. You don't want someone to say, gosh, it took me months to read it. So slow going. And often if someone says to me, I just inhaled this book, that for me is it's a good book. Yeah. yeah and yet I can understand the ratio of time it takes to r- write the thing to read it. It's yeah, I mean, every, painful.
4: every one of uh, mine, the first thing that is often, is, is, about one of them is I finished it in the day, or I finished it. You Don't Know Me was sent to the um, production company on Friday night, and on Saturday morning they called me and said, we've read it, we want, we want to sit down with you. Um, and the same with I Know What I Saw when that was picked up. Uh, By a TV company, it was read, as you kind of said, inhaled. Um, So so that I, you know, totally, in a way, totally live for. You want it to be that. And um, somebody much cleverer than me said once, "You've got to earn the next turn of the page." So each each page, Mm. you 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 know, no, you you don't own a reader's attention, and they don't owe you anything. So, if you if you want to make them turn the page, you've got to make
3: that page good enough mm. to make them want to look over the next. Which you deliver, which is uh, which is all good. Are you going to keep in the same genre, or are we moving to uh, verse or um, <laughs> science fiction or?
4: Um, I don't know. It's, a, it's a, you know it, the industry. I say industry as if you know we're making cars, <laughs> but they... But um, the world is a really kind of interesting world in many ways. The crime fiction fraternity, saturnity, soror- sorority, whatever, um, is beautiful. Because the people who write them are just so lovely. And they write the mm. darkest things, but then you meet them and they're just the loveliest mm. people. Even Mike Craven um, is <laughs> he's a, del- he's a, he's a delight all of them, they're all lovely Ellie Griffiths or, you know, and Happy or whoever it is that you meet, they're all charm personified. And they're writing this whole yeah. stuff. But, but the industry is pretty a hard place to be in because there's a lot of books competing for not very much shelf space mm. and sales are so important because uh, whether you sell a book determines whether or not quite often you get another book deal. And the more you sell, the more you, the more chance that you'll get of being able to publish another book. So to some extent, you know, I'd love to keep on writing um, in the same genre, but it will depend, I think, on what, what the appetite is there from the publishers and we'll see what they think. And if they, and if they want it, I'll write it. But if they don't, I might have to write something else. Oh,
3: cool. Well, I just, I, I love the idea that, you know, crime writers write these awful, horrible things and are lovely people. So does that mean writers of emotional fiction are ones to be avoided in the street because you never know Famous what th- th- they're like?
4: Yeah, I think famously that must be true. I mean, um, I mean that was said about Salman Rushdie, but he wrote beautifully, but you didn't really want to meet him. <laughs> I don't know whether <laughs> that's true or not, but, but, you know, but people would say that about Uh, You know how grumpy some of these uh, literary (laughs) writers were when you met them in real life. They were just.
3: Yes, absolutely. Okay, my last question. If you could go back to when you were writing that first book and you could just whisper something in your ear, what would it be?
4: (sighs) What a great question. What what I would whisper in my ear if I had gone back to that time in 2017 would be uh, first of all, I would have changed the title um, the title would be called The First Thursday Murder Club <laughs> and then I would, I, I would write about a retirement village where these <laughs> lovely ladies and men solve the crime that's, that's what I would do I
3: would <laughs> <enough. laughs> That's the best answer I've had to that question, I think. Well, Imran Mahmood, your latest book is All I Said Was True. Thank you so much for joining me today.
4: My pleasure. Thank you for having me. It's been a delight.
0: Thank you. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices
3: Now, the next book is The Last Party by Claire McIntosh. Well, I don't need to say anything about Claire, do I? I mean, she's known world all around the world for being a good author. Oh, dear me. Just bear with me on this one. She writes books. <laughs> she's an author. That's all I can say. No, Claire has just got such an incredible reputation. And what's a little bit different just to turn things around, is that Claire's going to come on today to answer five questions in five minutes. And then she's going to come back in a few weeks, a month, something like that, for us to do a full chat, a full interview. So you're going to get two stabs at, uh, at Claire MacIntosh, And it's worth it because this book is phenomenal. I really, really enjoyed it. Let me read you the blurb of this one. On New Year's Eve, Rhys Lloyd has a house full of guests. His lakeside holiday homes are a success and he's generously invited the village to drink champagne with their wealthy new neighbours. This will be the party to end all parties. But not everyone is there to celebrate. By midnight, Rhys will be floating dead in the freezing waters of the lake. On New Year's Day, DC Fionn Morgan has a village full of suspects. The tiny community is her home, so the suspects are her neighbours, friends and family. And Fionn has her own secrets to protect. With a lion covered at every turn, soon the question isn't who wanted Rhys dead, but who finally killed him. In a village with this many secrets, a murder is just the beginning. Right, let's do first... Sentence. Ooh, a sentence. Uh, Well, do I do? Come on, Philippa. Part one? No, yes, okay. New Year's Day. No one in Kim Code can remember what year the swim began, but they know they wouldn't welcome the new year in any other way. They don't remember which year it was that David Lewis went in wearing nothing but a Santa hat, or when the rugby lads bombed off the jetty and drenched poor Mrs Williams. But everyone will remember today's swim. Listen, I have always enjoyed Claire McIntosh's books. From the first one, I Let You Go, I just think, she can write. She delivers those sort of punches that surprise you so much. And she's just such an accomplished author. Yeah, I think you're gathering from me that I really, really enjoyed this book. But let's talk to Claire now as she answers five questions in five minutes. So Claire McIntosh, whose latest wonderful book is The Last Party. Welcome to the Quick Book Reviews podcast.
2: Thank you for having me.
3: It's long awaited. I've been very excited to talk to you today. And you're going to be back in a few weeks with a full interview. But for now, you've got your five questions in five minutes, if you are ready. The first question, can you describe your book in about 30 seconds? You're not timed, so it's (laughs) fine.
2: The last party is the first in a murder mystery series featuring Welsh female detective DC Fionn Morgan. And it's set on um, the border between England and Wales. It starts on New Year's Day after a very glamorous party has been held at a luxury lakeside resort called The Shore on the English side of the lake. And we join are characters on New Year's Day when they're going into the lake on the Welsh side for their annual New Year's Day swim and a body floats through the mist from the English side to the Welsh side.
3: <laughs> and if that doesn't make someone want to buy the book and read it immediately I, I don't know what will. Uh, your next question, What? who's your favourite smaller character? Not one of the main ones but one that you enjoyed writing.
2: Oh that's a good question. I think it would have to be one of the characters who lives at the shore. I think possibly um, Call Me Clemmy. So Clements Northcote lives at the shore, um, and uh, she's she. <laughs> The, the locals call her Call Me Clemmie because that's how she introduces herself. Call me Clemmie, call me Clemmie. Um, and she's what Fionn's ma'am calls a joiner. So she wants to be involved in everything. She's desperate to be part of the community. She wants to join litter picks and uh, start book clubs. And I'm just writing the second book. And she's she's there trying to start a creative writing group. So I really had a lot of fun with her.
3: Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's a great answer. Um, next question: What three words would you want readers to feel as they're reading this particular book? Oh, that's so hard. Mm. Um, I'll I'll give mine first then. Oh, go on then. I came up with some and see. Um, I came up with trusting because I. I trust you as I'm reading that this, you know, it's going to be believable and work and and, and a great journey. I'm intrigued because I really want to find out what happened. And I'm questioning all the time. Every time another character comes along, I'm like, well, you did it. (laughs) So those are the words for me. Trusting, intrigued and questioning.
2: That's good. Okay, I like those words. Um, Damn it, I wish I'd thought of those. So um, I would like them to feel connected. So connected to this community and to the characters, suspicious of almost all of them and perhaps a little emotional as well
3: see they're better than me and that that's why you're the the writer and, and I'm not next question a very important one what food and drink did you consume when you were writing this particular book
2: all of it all the food yeah. and all the drink I'm a massive also something in particular I'm a massive tea drinker and uh I I will drink buckets and buckets of tea um and then my other uh, my other weakness is um sea salt dark chocolate so uh the two together are the perfect combination
3: and when we talk about tea are we talking normal builders tea or is there a particular variety
2: i'm yeah i'm, I'm really basic with my tea it's it's yorkshire yorkshire gold with milk really really basic Have you tried their biscuit version, the Yorkshire biscuit tea? No, I haven't. But I did recently do a tea tasting um, and tried a, a chocolate hobnob tea. Which actually was really really nice. I was suspicious, but I quite liked it. So yeah, I might I might dip my dip my toe in biscuit tea, not literally. (laughs) No,
3: (laughs) it's worth a try. I can I can certainly recommend it. And uh, yes, dark chocolate. Well, that's that's healthy. So uh, yes, yeah. I mean, it's practically a vegetable, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's um, five five a day and more, so that's fine. Um, Your your last question. What's been and this is. I think going to be a tricky one for you uh, because there'll be so many. What's your most memorable moment so far in your writing
2: career? There are, there are many, um, and they're not always the big thing. Sometimes they're really little, like, you know, walking into a tiny little bookshop in, um, I don't know, Croatia and finding, you know, a translation of one of my books. The so things like that are incredible. Um, probably, A huge career highlight was when I Let You Go was um, shortlisted for the Theakston Old Peculiar Crime Novel of the Year. And it was up against, among others, um, Robert Galbraith, who, of course, is J.K. Rowling. um, And I Let You Go won. And it's the first time that my children sort of acknowledge that what I did was quite cool, you know, that that I'd beaten J.K. Rowling. Um, It's literally the only time they've kind of thought that that my job was worth anything at all.
3: I love that. That's a a great answer. Well, those are your five questions in five minutes. Claire McIntosh, whose latest book is The Last Party. Thank you so very much. Thank you. And the next book, So Happy For You by Celia Lasky. I'm laughing as I'm talking about this book because this is is it weird it's weird and wonderful it's not weird it's just it's just different i enjoyed it so very much if you like killing eve you know you're gonna love this it's totally different to killing eve but i just it's just great uh it's fresh and that's what that's what i like okay so let's do the blurb in fact the blurb says it's much better than me forget killing eve listen to this listen to this bridesmaids meet black mirror in the most twisted and entertaining thriller of 2022. Yeah, it is entertaining, (laughs) it really is. Anyway, come on, Philippa. Robin and Ellie have been best friends since childhood. They've been through everything together, from Robin coming out to the death of Ellie's dad. But when Ellie asks Robin to be her maid of honour, Robin is reluctant. It's not that Robin isn't happy for Ellie, she just hates everything about weddings and marriage, plus the guy Ellie's engaged to. There's also the matter of the crazy not to mention dangerous, wedding rituals that couples are resorting to in the hope of securing a lifetime of happiness. Despite her misgivings, Robin finally says yes. But as the wedding day approaches, she gets the feeling that everyone in the bridal party is out to get her and it seems Ellie is willing to do anything for the perfect day. After all, marriage is about sacrifice. As I say, I thought this was absolutely brilliant. I would highly recommend. And I am going to be following this author from now on. Let's do the first sentence in chapter one. If you want to know the story of how my best friend and I ended up trying to kill each other, I should probably start with the night she asked me to be her maid of honour. (laughs) I love the book. I just, yeah, I don't know why a book about killing is making me laugh. But it did. And I think it might make you laugh as well. Um, and you know how Killing Eve starts off normalish, and then just goes off at a tangent like, oh, OK, that's the ride we're on. It's just it's similar. Um, it's about friendships, identity goals um, uh, and what we'll do for those particular goals. I just thought it was great fun. Excellent. Excellent. Very good. Next one, The Will by Rebecca Reed. Uh, here we go. The Mordaunts aren't like most families. For one, their family home is Roxborough Hall, a magnificent, centuries old mansion in the Norfolk countryside. For another, the house isn't passed down from parent to child, but rather to the family member deemed most worthy. Cecily Mordaunt is dead. On the evening of her funeral, her family will gather for dinner and each will be given a letter revealing who is the next custodian of Roxborough Hall. The house is a burden, a millstone, a full time job, but they all want it. And some are willing to do anything to get it. One family, eight letters, who will get what they deserve. As soon as I heard that blurb, I was like, I'm in. I want to read this. What's going on? What's the, what's the jig here? What's the joy? What's the news? <laughs> Who's getting the letter saying they inherit and why? I need to know. Um, and it delivered it, certainly. Now, do I do the... Pro- yeah, OK, here we go. Roxburgh Hall is an enormous place. Too big, really. Every person who has lived there in the last 200 years has claimed they'll be the last, that no-one could possibly want to be saddled with this place. 15 bedrooms, servants' quarters, a library, two kitchens, a small sitting room, a large sitting room, a drawing room, a dining room, the list goes on. Running Roxburgh is no joke. It's a full-time job, a burden, a millstone. Inheriting it means tying one's entire life to the place. And yet they all want it. I enjoyed it. um, Yeah, it wasn't didn't go where I thought it was going to go. And so I got the surprise for that, which was good. I'm not someone who's very good at guessing what's going to happen. Uh, but equally, these books are good at... Not allowing me to do that. I'm always a bit disappointed if I manage to guess uh, what's happened. But <laughs> that happens so rarely, particularly at the moment. Anyway, excellent. I thoroughly enjoyed it. And if the the blurb of that, that you know, eight letters, who will, who will inherit, has piqued your what's it, then I think you would enjoy it a lot. And the last book is Cold Cold Bones by Kathy Wright. So now listen to this. <laughs> It all starts when Dr Temperance Brennan finds a box on her porch. Inside is a fresh human eyeball with GPS coordinates etched into it. They lead her to a macabre discovery in a Benedictine monastery. And soon after she discovers a mummified corpse in a state park. There seems to be no pattern to these killings. Someone is targeting her and she needs to figure out why before they strike again. And then her daughter Katie disappears... Someone is playing a dangerous game and they won't stop until they've taken everything from her. Oh, let's do the first sentence. I mean, it's all fresh to have an eyeball with a GPS system in it, isn't it? OK, chapter one. First sentence. It began with an eyeball. <laughs> I'm going to leave it there because it really did. Cathy Wrights can really write these books so well. They're hard hitting. They're interesting. They keep you captivated. Yeah, I thought it was, a, it was a good read. But that's your time for this week. Let me just do a quick recap. So we had All I Said Was True by Imran Mahmood. And Imran very kindly came on to do the full interview. Um, then we had The Last Party with Claire Mackintosh. Claire answered five questions in five minutes and she'll be coming on soon to do the full interview. We had So Happy For You by Celia Lasky, The Will by Rebecca Reed, and Cold Cold Bones by Kathy Rikes. That's your lot. I'm off to collapse in a puddle on the floor. Hopefully I'll be able to speak much more easily to you next week. Thank you for bearing with me. Sorry for all the (laughs) hoo-ha. And hopefully my brain cells will all be in place soon. Anyway. I do hope you're doing okay. I really do. Just look after yourselves and I'll see you very soon. Take care now. Bye-bye. You've been
1: listening to the Quick Book Reviews podcast. That's enough books. Said no one. Ever. See you again soon.
5: Hold up.